0: Access some boring subjects.
1: Understand the risks to our country.
0: Freedom brings people
1: together. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com.
2: Welcome to the Chris Spangle Show. My name is Chris Spangle. It is so great to be with you. And today we are talking about police accountability a year after the George Floyd killings. And what has changed? What should change? If anything, we'll see. We're talking to Jason Bassler, Jason Bassler, excuse me, of Police the Police and the Free Thought Project. So stay tuned.
1: Warning, this show is for adults by semi-adults, so the language is sometimes strong and offensive. Uh, I don't know what I said. Uh. Welcome to the Chris Bangle Show. Our goal is to help you sound smarter while talking to your friends. If you struggle to understand politics, we explain it from an independent libertarian point of view. With all of the irreverence it deserves, we toss out the screaming heads, put people before political parties, and give context to the news to make you think. Now, here's our host, Chris Spangle, a 15-year veteran of politics and media.
2: Thank you for joining us here on The Chris Spangle Show. It's so great to have all of you with us. Before we start, we always thank our patrons. Uh, And now everybody who uh, listens and and, uh, supports our advertisers... Because you're what makes the We Are Libertarians Network function. There are 13 shows on this network now. And the costs of that are a lot. And we offset that cost through Patreon. And so if you want to help create new libertarians and help people sound smarter when they're talking with your friends. And really it's the value for value system. We have completely ripped this off from the No Agenda Show. If you take value from the Chris Spangle Show and the We Are Libertarians Network, then give some value back. Five bucks a month, you get ad-free shows. You get, uh, at $10 a month, uh, the History of Modern Politics, and uh, twice a month. And we just try to give you a lot of value uh, here at the We Are Libertarians Network, and we just ask that you pitch in. And there ain't no such thing as a free lunch. Foundational libertarian principle. Somebody pays if it's free to you. Uh, and our all stars, our $100 a month members at Wall Plus are John Pusilo, Casey Feldposh, Lars Nordskog, Jakey Dell, Matthew Durbin, Jeff Bennett, Reinhold, Christy Avery, and Jason Doolittle. And you can become a member of Wall Plus by its WAL. Join WALPlus.com, join WallPlus.com, or go to Patreon and thank you so much. Uh now here with us and Jason just to let you know there is still a little b- bit of feedback in your mic. Uh as always hey, Reinhold's joining us here. Reinhold uh I can't introduce you first we go by seniority. So Harry Price, how are you today? Going good, going good. How are you? I'm I'm good. I'm I'm deciding on a new style and I think I've selected golf dad. That's what we're doing. Uh good. so you know, suspended maturation through video games was out. Not my style. Uh and I can't pull off Yellowstone Dad uh with cowboy wear. So, so golf dad it is. Uh Aging Hippie uh is Reinhold's style. He doesn't he has a ponytail today. Reinhold, how are you? I'm doing very well today. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. And Trisha Stewart Mann, host of Ginger she is also here. Please go listen to Gingerarchy. You've been killing it lately. Who are some of the guests that you've been having on your podcast?
3: Um, the last guest I had was an incredible show. That was Michael Meharry from the Tenth Amendment Center. So really good show about um, Christian, Christianity and anarchy. So
2: That's great, yeah. And one of your guests was – and one of the features, Jason, on this show is my complete uh, unprofessionality – and never asking the guests that come on their name pronunciation i can't even say that is it bassler jason bassler okay i thought so all right so uh jason bassler joins us you are the the founder of police the police and the co-founder of the free thought project one of the few people who has been throttled and banned off of social media more than we are libertarians this is true. Yeah, they uh, they love censoring us. <laughs> now, uh, tell us. Let's start with a uh, free thought project. Tell us a little bit about that, and then we'll talk about police, the
4: police, and get into the topic for today. Tell us what is the free thought project. Sure. Well, good morning, and thanks for having me on, of course. And, uh, you know, I always love talking shop. I must say, this is probably one of the earliest interviews I've ever done, seeing uh, it's 7 a.m. in California. Oh, I didn't know it was so early there. We would have done it later (laughs) for you. I'm so sorry. But thank you for joining us. No worries at all. It's for a good cause, so I'm happy to be here. But, uh, yeah, the Free Thought Project. Uh, I started the Free Thought Project with uh, co-founder Matt Agarist. He's also our editor-in-chief. In 2013, uh, it's primarily government accountability, although we touch on some other topics occasionally as well. But, uh, yeah, the, the main focus um, is the Free Thought Project and Police the Police. It's kind of uh, the dual, the the double-sided uh, threat there. So what is Police the Police? Let's talk about what you do there. Sure. Police the Police is um, mostly an online organization Um it's basically a platform for documenting and archiving, uh, police brutality, police misconduct and abuse of authority. Okay. So, and was there any relation to cop block? I, I remember cop block, but I don't think that's necessarily around anymore. Um, maybe there's, right? yeah, they're, they're still going. It's just not as prevalent, but, um, yeah it, it's it's related in the sense that I was inspired by them, and um, a, about a year after uh, creating Police the Police, we kind of joined forces. Um, Coplock is more of just a decentralized idea, so even though there were founders, um, it was more of just a loose knit based group of people who uh, promoted the idea so yeah and um like harry said
2: i didn't the page get sold and cop block was one of the early band accounts and basically the thought and correct me if i'm wrong was you'd start a local group that would go out and film local police in action and it was basically to block police abuses through surveillance
4: uh Mm -hmm. citizens surveilling the state essentially did i get that right Yeah, that's correct. You know, there were already cop watch groups that had kind of uh, started in like the 90s and and early 2000s. But uh, if if I remember correctly, Cop Block was created in 2010. And yeah, that's exactly the premise. It was kind of one step uh, above the cop watching. It was more trying to get involved, trying to uh, possibly share people's uh, rights with them if they happen to be targeted by police during a, a, a traffic stop or some kind of other police encounter. So, yeah, I, I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head. <clears throat> so essentially, um,
2: you know, like I, like I say on the show all the time, this is my fourth take or, uh, takeover. I'm an old timer. I've been around a long time, uh, and and you have too. And when I first got uh, into libertarianism and joined the cult in 2007 2008, God forbid, we open this up to Reinhold, who's been around since the 80s, but. Like the, the police accountability movement, if there was a movement, was, I mean, it a lot of extreme people. Like I, I go back to our, on our show, Maya Axton, uh, Harry, who, you know, was a crazy violent anarchist at the time um, and was just intentionally trying to provoke and trying to get uh, a rise out of people. It seems to have matured a lot. It seems like there has been uh, a maturation and a, a societal acceptance of the idea that citizens are supposed to to watch police. I mean, for me the first uh, domino to fall was uh Dorner, is it Eric not Eric Dorner uh in LA who's the LAPD cop who started um killing other cops. And instead of giving him due process, they just lit the cabin that he was in on fire. And I went, "Whoa, okay." If they're going to do that to themselves, maybe some of this stuff has merit. And then Ferguson took place, and it and it kind of, you know, culminated. I think for most of the country last year in George Floyd's killing, and saying there's a problem here. But I think um, first, let me ask like. What is that maturation process that you've seen uh, being on the ground in terms of activism
4: for policing the police? What have you seen over the last decade? You're, yeah, you're spot on there, Chris. Um, it certainly has become more of a mainstream issue, which, um, you know, we, we probably have mixed feelings about, right? But I do think the George Floyd video and, and case was a boiling point. Um, so, yeah, going back, taking a step back, Cop Block probably was uh, one of the first to kind of more focus on the libertarian side of police accountability and what libertarianism and the non-aggression principle could really do to bring that to uh, a larger audience. Uh, primarily before that, it was more of a left leftist idea to uh, cop watch and have any type of accountability with police. Um, and as you had, had stated, yeah, Dorner probably was one of the big first uh, mainstream cases that had a lot of attention to it and rightfully so, right? He was uh, certainly no angel, although I think that we can uh, sympathize with his plight, but he certainly got their attention. Uh, there was yeah, quite a, a dramatic uh, chase that ensued trying to find him with even police putting over a hundred rounds into a similar truck that looked like his, uh, not the same make or color, of course um and yeah so th- that was certainly a big turning point uh kind, kind of got the attention of a lot of people like ourselves a lot of libertarians uh, anarchists and whatnot. So yeah, and and um,
2: Dave Chappelle focused on him last year in his like twenty minute, thirty minute special on Netflix, and I and I think think he nailed a lot of the feelings that I had around that as well. So I would definitely check that out, uh, Dave Chappelle's special last year. But Dorner, I think, was like the beginning for a lot of libertarians. Like there was some people who had focused on it, like the folks in Keene and Free Keen. I remember hearing um, the the guys on Free Talk Live basically say we can't keep police in Keene anymore because we take them out to lunch and have a polite conversation with them and make them think about ideas. And then they just quit, you know, but that was like the first activism that I'd really heard about, you know, and then along comes black lives matter and, and some of this other stuff. Um, but
4: continue on your thought about the, the evolution here. Sure. Um, so me personally, uh, where I realized that there was a, a major issue, a profound, uh, you know, problem here is that uh, Occupy Wall Street, and that was 2011. So um, I, I think you know it's safe to say that police were pretty heavy-handed during that protest as well. Uh, they were certainly aggressive, uh, abusive to the protesters, regardless of age, color. Uh, it was pretty much indiscriminate. So at that point, I kind of realized, hey, like this doesn't sit right with me. Like this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Uh, I personally need to get involved. I personally need to up my game. I need to use uh, you know, any tools I have in front of me to kind of try to understand what's going on. So um, yeah, that's around uh, when I decided to create Police the Police, which was a year later in 2012. Um, but Black Lives Matter didn't come around until, uh, yeah, around Ferguson and the Mike Brown case. Uh, that was 2014, which I actually went to. I was in Ferguson for that whole uh, protest and trying to document Uh, the whole the whole scene and
2: what did you you see there
4: because we
2: we tried to cover it but it was it just with the right-wing press and the mainstream press which is left-wing press it's hard to really like sort out what happens anymore and it really feels like ferguson was kind of the you know 2007 to 2014 was like really the beginning of that like i don't know what's going on i I'm, i'm kind of throwing my hands up and ferguson was in my mind, one of the first big things where it's you just didn't know which side
4: to believe. Sure. Well, contrasting that, though, there wasn't an established right wing that was decrying, you know, fake news and and fraud and all this other stuff. I think at that point, the right was still a bit sympathetic, Uh, although, you know, they still labeled Mike Brown a thug and whatnot. Um, It seemed like there wasn't as much of a polarization as there, there is today. But as far as uh, what I saw in Ferguson, um, I was on the ground for five days there in October, so it was a couple months after the actual event itself. Uh, it was called the the weekend of resistance, and uh, you know it was wild. To be honest, we we were all over the place. We were at various uh, different protests, sometimes being in front of the Ferguson Police Department, sometimes branching out to other areas of the city. You know, they were pretty creative as far as how they protested and. Uh, trying to make as much, um, I guess, disorganization and chaos with their protests to keep police on their toes to to really voice how, uh, you know, disgruntled they were about the situation. So, you know, we were at gas stations protesting. um, And of course, I was there with my camera. So I say we were protesting. I was also covering it, uh, trying to play also in the role of journalist. Uh, I remember at one point we even went into a casino and uh you know there were probably a hundred of us who just swarmed up in different cars and uh you know we we went into the casino we went to all these different various places and started you know chanting protesting uh pulling out the signs and as soon as they caught the protesters caught when that police were actually on their way everybody just ran out to their cars again and went to the next spot so they were very coordinated um and at that point you know again like there there wasn't this polarization uh as there is now so um, I can't say that I saw, you know, many libertarians out on the streets protesting or, or boog boys or any of these other types of groups, you know, um, but, uh, it didn't feel like there was, uh, you know, a big divide as there is now. Yeah. So what, what do you think created that divide?
2: I mean, it's probably big, loud and orange, but like, how, how do we get to a place where, you know i had a conversation with somebody and they said the last two conservative organizations that have not fallen to wokeness are the the police and the military and that's that's why you see a lot of right-wing people really like freak out when the the you know the the pride flag on the local police department happens
4: sure yeah well you know at the same time the right has been people who have uh always valued the constitution and look, you know, police have been stomping on the fourth amendment and the constitution for, uh, what 50 plus years now enforcing drug, drug laws. So, um, yeah, they're, we can't, let's just say they're not the most consistent <laughs> people, although we might share some commonality with, you know, private property rights and individualism and stuff. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, the right doesn't seem to be, uh, entirely consistent on this topic, but, uh, I get that. That's an interesting perspective. Um, I I would say that it probably was a big turning point was, uh, the Trump presidency. Uh, we started seeing a lot more thin blue line flags, uh, a lot more, you know, blue lives matter rhetoric. Um, so yeah, it, it seemed like that was probably the big turning point.
3: Oh, I think Chris had to step away for a second, but, um, and with your point in that Jason, um, as far as libertarians becoming more active, have you seen, you know, you said originally you didn't see a lot of that in Ferguson. Have you seen a lot of growth um, in the libertarian?
4: Yeah. Well, Anarchist
3: space as far as police.
4: Sorry, I think you cut out there for a second, oh. but um, I think I got the the gist of your question and that I, I believe is probably one of the big reasons the free thought project and police, please police had a lot of success when we first started. It was because people were hungry for different, uh, alternative perspectives, um, away from more of like the left leaning, uh, police accountability thoughts and, 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 uh, talking points and whatnot. So I would su- I would say that that was probably one of the big reasons that we uh, had a lot of, well, oh, there goes my cat, uh, <laughs> <laughs> totally relatable. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think there has been, I think, um, Cop Block and Police to Police have been instrumental in in sharing these different um, solutions, kind of uh, non-establishment based um, solutions, which right now are basically, uh, you know, defunding the police and reform. Those are kind of the two that are being heavily focused on. So I I do think we provide utility to uh, the libertarian anarchist uh, subsect. And uh, we generally... Talk about these issues that a lot of other organizations won 't touch with a ten foot pole, so
2: yeah, it seems to me that the ideas that were kind of fringe and radical in the in the 2010s and the cop block days are now being talked about on mainstream news outlets, and I think people for, lose track of time. But when we talk about police accountability, let's define that. Like when we when we say police accountability or police reform, what does that look like? What what are the problems? I guess maybe what are the problems, and then we can talk about the solutions. But like, what do you see? Uh, You know, is it? I have friends who say, "Look, you're." And police will say this: you see a video out of context, you get mad about it. And then we pretend, and this happens a lot, it's nut picking, right? You take the nut and you pretend that every libertarian is the guy running through the Capitol or every Trump supporter is this, or, you know, every, every liberal is double masking, vaccinated and praising Fauci, right? Like we nut pick. So if, if I were to say to you, aren't you doing that where you take these videos of police excesses and pretending that that's all cops like, is, aren't you doing something unfair? Is this
4: really systemic? What would you say to that? Sure. Yeah, that's no, that's a great point. And uh, I guess it's a, a value uh, premise. You know, how much do you care about these topics? How much do you care about uh, the sanctity of life? How much do you care about accountability? These things are probably different to everybody, right? Uh, accountability to me means transparency. It means actually having responsibility for our actions, regardless of, if you're wearing a badge or if you wrap the label of government around you. Um, so, uh, yeah, I feel like um, police accountability has changed significantly in the sense that it's more of a mainstream topic now. You know, we saw Rodney King uh, in 1993, and that was a big turning point as well. Uh, that died down, right? And, and let me remind you, that was um, one video of a beating Right, Rodney King wasn't killed in that. But since then, we've seen hundreds, if not thousands, of viral videos about this this very topic about police excessive force, about police violence. So, so essentially, um, you know, one one
2: drop is one thing, but how many how many drops does it take to make a lake?
4: Sure. Well, you know, I could tell you some statistics. I, I would say, um, you know, in 2020, there were only 18 days where police didn't kill somebody. Uh, generally, on average, police kill over a 1000 Americans every year. Uh, The statistics on how many of those people were armed and unarmed uh, vary. And it's hard to really get a grasp on how many of those people uh, actually provoked some type of situation uh, with police. But to me, and I, I would suggest, you know, the funniest part about this is that, you know, we have these people on the right who claim that they're, you know, pro America, and pro Constitution, yet, They don't say a word. And if anything, they justify when lethal force is used by police, rather than taking a look and saying, hey, like these people are Americans who are being killed by police. So again, this is just, uh, I guess, a personal preference, you know, I guess it's also about subjective morality. What to you do you believe is important in society? To me, funding police uh, with our tax dollars, I think that gives us every opportunity that gives us every right to try to hold police accountable, because ultimately these dollars are being extracted from us involuntarily to fund these services. And uh, we have to do everything we can to try to keep these people accountable while this mechanism is still in place.
2: Yeah, and I, I would say, and Harry, I'll jump to you in just a second. I would say um, y- y- teachers, cops, and firefighters, like we're turning them into a special class of citizen and they're the ones that are largely they're the largest group of people funded by um by the state. And can you talk about uh why that A is a dangerous mentality but also the the nature of policing. They're the vanguard of the state. And and they they have an extra duty to be held accountable, do they not? Yeah,
4: absolutely. They are the the strong arm strong arm enforcers for the ruling class. So, yeah, I mean absolutely. If anybody in society needs to be held accountable, it's the police. Of course, the military is right there, up there with them. Uh, But, you know, we don't see uh, uh, teachers not being held accountable, right, if they do something that's completely off basis or out of line. Uh, We don't see them having different uh, legal opportunities to be immune from law. So the problem here, I think, ultimately is that these institutions are funded by taxation, which creates a monopoly on these services. And anytime there's a monopoly, um, automatically, just economically speaking, value goes down, quality goes down. Uh, there's no incentive for efficiency, uh, effectiveness, accountability, or to ever improve. So there's a big hurdle here that a lot of people don't even realize. And uh, it, it, you know, if we want to talk about economics and logic, I mean, you have to be consistent, right? Like, you can't just uh, say, well... This service is, you know, just like any other service, law enforcement is just like any other service. I mean, you know, we voluntarily pay for our phone bill for our electricity bill, yet this service by law enforcement is involuntarily extracted with our tax dollars. So again, you know, this makes it even more important, even more paramount for us to have transparency and have accountability. But what you're you're touching on, Chris, is, is very important to also point out because, these people are fallible, and just because they are funded by our tax dollars doesn't mean that they're perfect. It doesn't mean that we can't criticize these services. Harry, go ahead.
5: Oh, I will say, like, it's been my experience that um, you never really want to tell the cops that, you know, you fund their uh, their paycheck. Don't tell them that. Okay. They really, really hate that. but. True. Um, as you see, like also like the while well, like technology is getting better, like I think we talked before the show about technology getting better and faster. Um, you see, like the, the stories of cops doing this was like like really prevalent in the in before Rodney King, and especially in the eighties of uh, police enforcement. And now that's with the rise of uh, camera phones and more people having dashboard camera, it just kind of you feel like it just brings like uh, it it just makes things easier now for everyone to help police the police with those.
4: Yes and no. And that's a great question, Harry. And I actually struggle with this very topic quite frequently. Um, Yes, we have more accessibility to cameras. That's a good thing. We could upload any of these, these videos and even, you know, live stream them in many cases. So that's a great thing. Now on the flip side of that, using my reference to Rodney King earlier, that was a one-time thing that people hadn't seen if ever in their lives. And because somebody happened to have a video camera and was across the street in a parking lot filming that, it was one of these events that, again, nobody had seen, so it caused massive outrage. Nowadays, I wonder and I worry that organizations like ours, who are constantly focusing on and disseminating this type of information, these viral videos, if we're doing a disservice to the cause and to society by desensitizing people to a lot of this violence.
2: Yeah, I, 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 a lot of these, I'm just kind of like, oh, I just can't watch this again. And I guess that's um, maybe not the right, because you, you really should see it. But I think you've touched on something there. Um, I don't know. I don't have a single black friend in my life that has says anything other than there's a problem between black people and police, and they have a personal story. like. I, I, you know, and, and when I hear, oh, well, white people get killed more often, and blah, it, well, yeah, we're like sixty percent of the population, so like proportionately, it affects the black community more. I mean, what what really started my journey from just being like, if if you're in trouble as a child, you go and speak to the cop, and here's your dare T-shirt, to, oh, maybe we should rethink some of this stuff. Is Harry saying to me, you don't understand when I get in the car? I think about it differently. Like, how am I, am I getting home? You know, when I'm in the passenger seat, they ask for my ID, but not my wife, who is white. Like, there's differences. There's interactions that he talked about. Then, you know, the pat-down with Miss Pat and Dion, like, um, you know, there to to my profession, you know, to my friends like Abdul, like, there is just, every single person I know has a story. So, it's hard to know Oh this because this doesn't personally impact me and I've never experienced it I'm going to dismiss the stories of an entire race of people. Um you know can you talk about that idea that th- this is this is not a problem and those people are just making too much noise because that's really the attitude of a lot of you know right-leaning people is that they're they're just indoctrinated with critical race theory their experiences don't matter it's just them believing the voodoo of jesse jackson or something
4: yeah well to be clear you know uh police violence affects all people all ages all colors all creeds it it literally i mean we cover stories it doesn't matter who you are right you're anybody's susceptible to state violence Uh, with that said of course yes uh black people have a disproportionately um you know higher rate of being uh arrested, having encounters with police, being harassed by police. Um, I don't think there's any debate there from anybody who seriously objectively takes a look at all this. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's a problem, you know, to, to continue on with some of these stats, um, you know, 64 people were killed during the George Floyd trial. Right. So, uh, and considering that, Derek Chauvin was only the eighth officer to be convicted of on-duty murder since 2005. Um, <laughs> wow. You know, that's it should be a red flag, right? And and so to say that you know this is just uh, a couple, you know, a small demographic of people who are making a lot of noise, it's just inaccurate. Uh, I feel like it's probably cognitive dissonance, probably some Stockholm syndrome. Uh, it's just easier to sweep this stuff under the rug and. To be completely honest it's just indoctrination right a, a lot of these people on the right have a serious case of authority worship so um you know anything that police do you know they're gonna they're gonna praise it they're gonna they're gonna worship it um, and they're gonna always try to find some type of justification to defend police violence uh, it's a sad and you know again going back to to my point from earlier these are the same people who claim that they care about America and Americans yet they're the first people to also justify any police violence.
2: Uh, Harry, Ryan, hold, jump in here. What, what do you want to bring up next?
6: I, well, I wanted to bring up um, what we think part of the problems are, because right now you know, we, we know that there's this, this issue going on and we've, we've had a history of over-policing in certain communities, but really what I see is more that we as a society, for a lot of people in the society have, um, almost lionized the police to the point where they expect perfection and um, savior attitude towards those people to, to the police. So they, they have a hard time believing that the police might've ma- made a mistake or done something wrong. But what I find more interesting is I think we're, we're expecting the police to do too much to, to, to be involved in every interaction and every law break and every situation and trying to mediate between people who are having domestic uh, disagreements or jaywalking or just, just all this small non, um, uh, non stuff that's not really affecting people, right? So um, I think that the real you know, part, of the, part of the solution would be to pull back some of that that they're doing but I'm just wondering if that's if that's something everybody else, you know, believes or sees that we're we're just expecting too much of the police in this case. And there's obviously going to be people who err and make mistakes because they're just not getting their proper training to do
2: that. I, I'm going to um, jump in here because this actually leads to a question that I want to ask Jason. Um you know, when you listen to serious conservatives and they talk about, you know, your, New York City, the bad old days of New York City. Seven, you know, 2000 murders in the seven a year in the 70s, 80s and, and the crack epidemic. And Giuliani comes in and introduces broken windows. And the theory of policing in broken windows in New York City and stop and frisk is that. When you bust people for the petty crimes like jaywalking you you end up reducing overall crime. Why is that a problem why do you consider that to be wrong
4: yeah i mean uh coming from a libertarian perspective right um yeah i i believe I believe so i mean these are <laughs> there's so many there's so many levels to this answer, but uh these are generally victimless infractions that uh, both you and Reinhold are speaking on. Right. So um, the fact that the state is claiming this authority to extort citizens for these infractions that don't actually include a victim, I think is probably the first thing that we need to address and talk about. And um, and to jump back here on on uh, Reinhold's point and question, I did an interview a couple weeks ago with a police officer And it actually went swimmingly well. We both actually learned a lot from each other. We agreed on many points. And one of the points that we agreed on was the fact that there are so many law enforcement officers in this country that, yes, the overwhelming majority don't break the laws. The overwhelming majority don't uh, violate our rights. But, of course, there are the small fraction of people who do and who uh, have either taken the employment as a law enforcement officer to violate our rights and have this complex and this ego, um, you know, or they have other agendas and objectives. Um, but to me, ultimately, what this comes back to, and I'd love to talk about this maybe a little bit more, because some of this stuff is is more um, symptoms of a larger problem. And, and that problem is the economic issue that most people, including Black Lives Matter, do not want to address or talk about here. And, of course, reform is... A worthy idea, and I I certainly support any type of reform efforts. But at the end of the day, again, this is a product that's involuntarily contracted with us. Right? We've never signed any contracts with these people. So to me, yes, they they have all the incentive in the world to create revenue and to generate revenue because look, we never <laughs> signed up for this. They're going to try to make a buck through, you know, these victimless infractions anytime in any way they can. So yeah, to me, the, the broken windows theory, it's problematic. It's absolutely problematic. That's a violation of our rights, uh, you know, a, a number of them. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, all it does is deepen the divide between the people who claim to be serving and protecting society and the public. All right, let me put on my John Stossel hat here
2: right and and county with so what about the morality of it? Uh, what are you talking about with contracts? If it means that you know my stuff isn't stolen, my family is safe, and these these tactics work, then who cares
4: Well, sure, but then they're also kicking in people's doors at three in the morning and throwing flashbangs and you know children's cribs. Uh, for non-existent drugs, and, and sometimes even the wrong addresses, you know. So there, there's a lot of uh, blowback, I guess you could say, a lot of consequences to these policies, to this uh, monopoly on violence, uh, monopoly on the claim legal use of force, which police claim that they have. So um, yeah, you know, I, I would say, I would suggest that uh, decentralized private of course that's a taboo word right nobody likes you know on the left private woo that's a that's a crazy one but uh, I would say decentralized community based security protection services uh will be the only solution going forward uh, to anybody who really cares about being logically consistent or just looking at the evidence right because uh we've we've tried reform since um Jesus, you could go all the way back to 1886, the Haymarket Massacre. That was the very first police brutality protest. So 120 years now plus, we've been protesting police and begging for legislators to create some type of meaningful change and reform. Yet that doesn't happen. So, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, there are solutions. The solution is decentralized. And while defunding does have some merits, the actual legitimate solution as far as morally and pragmatically is to decentralize. Okay, so so you're not necessarily can you
2: um explain defund the police to me and and our listeners because I think a lot of our listeners there you know we're first in the the apple charts when you search libertarian so we get a lot of new people they they're not as uh down the train as as the five of us are you know and and they're not paying as much of attention, right? So sure. when you hear defund the police well, it goes back to kind of that last question, like, well, then who who's going to come out when I call 911? Like, how would that work? I don't understand the concept. And once you've explained the concept, can you give your personal opinion
4: on it, please? Yeah, so defunding the police, again, you know, it, it has some merit. It's not completely um, devoid of any type of logic, right? Um, we actually just came across a study. So if uh, U.S. police were their own country, uh, they would be the third highest funded army in the world. So, you know, considering that we have MRAP tanks uh, in our streets doing these um, drug raids, you know, uh, and a a whole host of other, you know, grenade launchers, sniper rifles, uh, the whole 1033 program, which is the Department of Defense, basically handing down excess uh, supplies and equipment to local police departments. um, It's It's a big problem. I I would say, of course, that whole concept of defunding the police turned into a rally cry for BLM. Uh, and I'm, again, it's not something I'm completely opposed to, but I do believe that it's short-sighted. Uh, I do believe it falls into the category of reform when ultimately again, you know, we've been trying reform for 120 plus years here. So, um, The concept that I'm talking about is, uh, again, it's a decentralized. So people have this crazy mentality and idea, which I, I would say comes from public school indoctrination, that if we were to change any aspect of law enforcement or completely get rid of the monopoly on law enforcement, that all of a sudden there would just be chaos and lawlessness in the streets. And look, hey, I can't speculate one way or another if that would be the case or not. But I do know that the market would fill that void, that there would be a place and there would be incentive for private actors, private companies to fill that void with these security protection services, much like we already see now in Detroit with Mr. Dale Brown, who's a close friend of mine. He's uh, the commander at the Detroit Threat Management Center, and he's been around for 20 plus years now completely different technique and strategy compared to what law enforcement uh, conveys. And he's uh, never had any type of a jail time uh, problems with him or his employees, and none of his clients have ever had any harm or deaths. So this guy is the shining example of exactly what decentralized private security companies could be. And uh, if any of your if your audience is actually looking for more information about that. I would suggest um, researching Dale Brown threat management uh, cop block There's been a number of different organizations who have interviewed Dale over the years uh reason vice, a whole bunch of others, but in my opinion, the cop block interview and the cop block video is the best one to really get a grasp on his services and what he does.
2: yeah, I can throw that in the show notes i'll I'll grab that from you um what are some other examples of your your vision of a decentralized police? Like, I mean, isn't every agency independent? The Plainfield Police Department's different than the Avon Police Department is different than the Indianapolis Police Department. Like, isn't that decentralization? It's not like the Army where there's one centralized Army. So what do you mean by decentralized?
4: Yeah, good question. Well, again, um, are you, have you voluntarily paid for any of these services in your community for law enforcement, has that been something that you've pay my paid taxes?
2: I mean, I, I was born in America. I live in the city. I chose Southport. I, I pay my taxes, Jason.
4: <laughs> Paying your taxes voluntarily and having them extracted involuntarily, there's a little bit of a difference there. And uh, yeah, I, I would say um, the difference is again there's incentive, right? The incentive is all the world of of difference and. Uh, If there's incentive to actually win the community's dollar by people who are voting with their dollar, uh, then, you know, we're going to have a a much more succinct community as far as what their values and wishes and uh, standards are. So um, I guess that might be confusing. Right. But if you think of it as like any type of service and law enforcement is ultimately at the end of the day, it's just a service. And right um, so you're saying like if we if the plain, the people of Plainfield Indiana my
2: hometown have uh an excessively abusive police force which we did not growing up they they did a fine job um to my knowledge right but let's say we've got uh, we've got a lot of problems with these people you can't necessarily do much about it because they've monopolized the violence so it, you're saying we have several different services that a town can choose from that would then voluntarily contract with a policing agency and they can be fired. They, it's much more um, elastic and uh, changeable and they put
4: customer service ahead of monopolizing the violence. Correct. Yeah. There's a middleman right now and that middleman is called government And, you know, if we want any type of form, we basically have to beg and grovel uh, or go through the legal process, Uh, perhaps create a civilian oversight committee, which generally are pretty useless um, in the bigger scheme of things. But, yeah, basically what I'm saying is rather than jumping through all these hoops, uh, rather than expecting and and hoping and praying that our local government officials might change something, uh, they might, you know, give the the local police department a little less money so they have, you know, one less MRAP tank or something. Instead, you know, we would just fund these services that we would actually uh, want to see in our society. And yes, Chris, you're absolutely right. You know, we, we vote with our dollars every day with every type of product and service that we just decide to voluntarily participate with. So we would do the same thing within our communities. And, uh, this alone is such a departure from what we have today. Right. Right now, we have these, these law enforcement officers who, let's be fair here, there's a lot of ego involved in police culture. There's a lot of, um, you know, they, they expect you to obey and respect their authority. They expect you to be subservient to their authority. They will pull you over and harass you and ask you where you're going, ask you a bunch of unnecessary questions. So what I'm suggesting looks a lot different from all of that right? If somebody were in the community to be harassed by a decentralized uh, security and protection service, uh, we get together, we congregate, we put our minds together and say, look, like my son was harassed while he was driving home. We don't want to fund this this group anymore, this, this organization. There's no incentive for us to continue uh, paying for them. Let's get somebody else in here who isn't going to violate our rights, somebody else who's not going to harass our kids. And, uh, you know, it's going to look a lot different basically is what I'm saying. And I think we've been so uh, we've been so acclimated and so normalized to what police is now that we almost can't envision a whole different protection security service that would be, uh, feasible in our society this is uh, i'm a big fan of school choice and i'm here in indianapolis with you know
2: when the, the great mitch daniels was governor and had tony bennett and there was you know bart peterson and the democrat as mayor and starting charter schools and the Friedman foundations located here the you know the the lumina foundation like this is a hotbed of school choice activity and the argument has always been we're not anti-teacher we're pro-teacher because we want to give them higher higher wages and more choices for work opportunity as opposed to having one administration that can do to you whatever they'd like. And the pro-choice, or the pro-school choice, I should say, um, line is much more beneficial to teachers. So the same argument essentially is what you're saying would apply to police officers. It's not that you're abolishing police and they would be out of a job. They'd have more job opportunities. So... Is the head of police, the police, not necessarily anti-police, but actually wants a more humane system for both the police
4: officer and the citizen? Yeah, I think that's safe to say. And I I think I'm also just rational, right? Because there's this idea, you know, from some libertarians that, hey, like, I have my AR, you have your AK, like, we could just protect our community ourselves. Well, that sounds great in theory. And sure, if it's a small enough community, it might be possible, but... At the same time, the division of labor uh, is something that I value, right? Like, I'm not necessarily a security guard. I don't really have the physique to really seem intimidating. Um, some of my you know, shooting skills are on point, but ultimately that's not exactly what we're trying to accomplish here. So, um, yeah, I believe that we would, as a society, as a community, value these protection security services. And I do believe um, there would be a hole or a void for that hole uh, in society that, you know, police if they did step away, or if we even had the opportunity to just opt out of their services and they were to take care of some of the legal land legalese, that would probably be again, more uh, beneficial, more advantageous, but yeah, it's all the difference between bottom up to rather than top down. And uh, I think most libertarian anarchists could kind of, See the utility there
2: yeah, I mean the uh, and Trisha i 'll let you propose the next topic and maybe you want to answer this, but I genuinely worry about my friends that are police officers right now, you know, I genuinely worry about their mental health, I worry about their physical safety, I worry about the I do worry about the environment and, and the attitude towards police, and you know i 'm in a traffic stop two or three years ago, and the police officer going to do a podcast and You know, it's at night, and I get pulled over for speeding, and I'm fumbling for my registration down between the seats, and he treats me like I'm about to shoot him in the face. Like, that level of fear that someone would would live through every single day, like, that's horrible for a police officer. There's no wonder that they're having such a hard time, like... What, what libertarians want to do is take the empathetic position towards those people as well as the citizens that they're protecting, because that level of amped up, like, am I wrong? Like, am, you're laughing, but wh- why are you laughing at me, Tricia?
3: Well, I think Harry had something to say because I, I do understand part of your point, but I think he might have disagreed with one of your points too.
2: Well,
5: no, is the idea that if the cop is so afraid they're going to get shot in the face for walking up someone's car, then why did you pull them over just for speeding? You can send them a ticket you have there you have that person's address the moment you peel that plate you know there. you know where this car goes you know where this car is supposed to go so part that for and there's people that will walk up to people's car every day all day never worry about getting shot in the face it's called chick-fil-a they do it all the freaking
4: time okay <laughs> never well chick-fil-a also isn't you know they're not road pirates extorting people (laughs) for well that's that's a huge part of why these
2: these stops take place is because they can't like here in indiana we have home rule so if you want to raise your taxes as a local of uh uh, town city state county You have to go to the state legislature, which is full of Trump Republicans who are not going to give you a tax increase. And so the only way that they can legally make up revenue is by issuing a lot of tickets, cracking down a lot of, on a lot of, uh, you know, so it becomes predatory. Um, right. So you can
5: speed in your own county. They won't really, really pull you over that much. But the moment you cross into a different jurisdiction, but you'll probably get pulled over for speeding. Yeah, that's a little top tip for speeding in Indiana.
4: Yeah. <laughs> well. I mean, uh, yeah, the whole concept that all cops are bastards, all cops are bad. It's complicated, right? There's a lot of nuance to that conversation. I'd, be, I'd love to get into it. But I think ultimately what Chris touched on is important to recognize, right? Like all cops are bastards. That's a very collectivist mindset um, that, you know, puts a whole group of people into this whole category. Uh, I treat them. I try to treat them as individuals. Uh, That's why I have my own cop friends. That's why I never turn down the opportunity to do an interview with a law enforcement officer. Um, So, yeah, it, it is important to distinguish that. Right. Because we as libertarians should view these people as individuals. Now, does that change the fact that they decided to voluntarily sign up for enforcing victimless laws for corrupt politicians on peaceful people? No, that doesn't change that fact. And that's immoral. The institution itself is immoral. That's the problem. But, you know, I-, I think you're right, Chris, we do need to address and look at these people as individuals, because some of these people get into this profession with the right intentions, right? They, they really want to do some good in their community. And they believe that's the way that's the path forward to doing it. And by. when you talk to police officers, they do do a lot of good in their, uh, in their
2: community, and that stuff sure. never gets highlighted and you know it's it's um it gets drowned out by a lot of these these bad apples but you know what you're sure. touching on is the bad one bad apple spoils the whole bunch the system is predatory they've chosen this, and I agree with all that i mean i'm I'm playing intentionally obtuse today to try and and get sure. at the questions that I think most people ask um, but this is one concern that I have with the police accountability movement is that we alienate the very people that I think would be on our side. And, you know, the thing that I've I've learned over, you know, 15 years of working in the libertarian movement, and I, I've just learned that the people that are most often with us are the people that go- draw a government paycheck. It's, it's the teachers. It's the guy that is the treasurer at some division in the Indiana State, you know, like, The people who interact, the biggest group of people on our 100,000 likes Facebook page is the military, it is uh, government employees, it is... I mean, I think that we have missed an opportunity in a lot of ways to reach out to police officers and and we don't do what the keen folks have done, which is take your local cop out to lunch and have them think about people's rights, have them think about what's going on and, and... Maybe do their job differently or choose a different career and not because anytime anybody feels like they're under attack and they're in that crouched down position of defensiveness, that's not good. And it's especially not good when they're the vanguard of the state with a monopolization on violence. And uh, I just think that that's a, a missed opportunity in a lot of ways. Um, to jump back to the decentralized conversation, the elastic giraffe on YouTube says, would private security firms be authorized to make arrests? What police can do legally with probable cause as part of that monopoly on violence would be considered kidnapping in the private sector. Now, in the second part, he he makes a point like often we see the government doing things that we'd be locked up for, especially police officers. Um, but. When you when you're talking about hiring a a decentralized police force, let's say sixty percent of the town of Plainfield votes in uh, a voluntary police force, but that still leaves the forty percent in the minority that did not voluntarily associate. Like I know we're getting way deep into the the uh, anarchist weeds here, Tricia. But you know, Tricia, our resident anarchist, Harry's an anarchist. Jason, I, I assume, is an anarchist. I mean, how, how does that get sorted out? What if I'm in the minority of the people that didn't
4: voluntarily choose that? How would that work? Right. I, I can't say that we have a perfect system and what to be, to be clear, <laughs> to be clear. Well, it's, it's infinitely better than what we have now. Right. Uh, but, and we have, you know, uh consent involved, which is, is crucial. It's very important. Um. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> um but yeah I, i'm i'm
2: gonna give you an out there's no perfect way to deal with imperfect people and groups of people right like that's that's why I, well, I, I'm, I'm i'm a borderline yeah. anarchist uh uh agorist trisha says but there's still like that that little part of it where people are just 10 percent of the population is crazy and we've got to deal with them like there has to be a, a way to deal like 10% of any audience I've ever managed is just crazy and violent and terrible and demented, and we need some way to deal with them. So what I like about what you've proposed is that there is still a way to deal with them. You know, it's, there still are laws in a voluntary society. It's not just anarchy, Tricia.
3: Well, I would say the other 90% of human beings act with rational self-interest. So that's a pretty good majority. (laughs) So so
2: that 90% shouldn't be locked down because 10% is crazy.
3: Right. And what happens is we generally elect 10% to um, a place called Washington, (laughs) (laughs) D.C. True. Um, Which is another point. I know that we had talked about decentralizing, which is always a good thing. And in the end, that's really an anarchist idea, you know, bring it down to the individual. But I think that, Local police forces have become federalized. I mean I don't think we talked about how what the federal government does with police. I mean they've and they've helped to militarize them with what they give them.
2: Yeah, what the heck, Jason? I go to the Johnson County Fair two years ago and there's a a, a rainbow colored tank. <laughs> You know, it's like your your local pride parade has an MRAP, uh wrapped in rainbow <laughs> colors. We're we're just your friendly local militarized police department. How did that happen? Why why does why does uh you know last year um, during the protests there was a rumor that started going around Greenwood in the, near the area. There's a mall there, very white suburban, lower to middle class town. They have two MRAPs that nobody knew about, but. When it started going viral on Facebook that they are about to invade the Greenwood Park Mall and Black Lives Matter and the rioters are going to hit them next, all of the sudden, uh, okay. I, I, all of a sudden we've got uh, MRAPs rolling on the I on think the. Uh,
6: Chris tripped on his. On sorry. There we
2: go. Yeah, all of a sudden, Black Lives Matter is about to invade the Greenwood Park Mall and they have two <laughs> giant tanks. I mean, I post. I mean, these are like. Fifteen feet tall, giant tires they're six feet tall, like this town of a hundred thousand people does not need two tanks. What the heck
4: yeah, it's actually a very simple explanation. It's called the dod ten thirty three program, which started under uh, Obama transferring uh, unused um, military equipment from places like Iraq and Afghanistan to local police departments. And, you know, what's funny is that the Black Lives Matter crowd, a lot of our friends on the left, you know, they felt like they had to do something to get Trump out of office. So majority of them voted for Biden, thinking that he would be the better alternative, especially in the realm of police accountability. But the problem is that the 1033 program transfers are actually accelerating under Biden as of the past three months. So, um, you know, Trump was actually ramping it down and it's ramping back up again. So, uh, wait, that again, doesn't fit my preconceived notions.
2: <laughs> yeah. I'm going to get snowballed. Am I muted? Right. Uh, like, so you're saying that Joe Biden, the, I mean, the guy that basically started the drug war <laughs> <laughs> is yeah, ramp, the, uh, the friend of the friend of the liberal, uh, the friend of the progressive, I should say, cause we're taking liberal back. Is accelerating
4: the program and is actually in, isn't for civil rights? That's correct, my friend. Yeah, that's what the stats are indicating from uh, the past three months now, actually, probably four months as of June.
6: Yeah. Oh, it's something I think we've known for four or five decades. <laughs> but um, with, with with Joe Biden, Joe Biden's always been pro um, pro police, pro, mil- you know, putting people in in prison for for crimes. But Um, I kind of wanted to play devil advocate, if you don't mind here. Um, We're talking about decentralizing police, having the private people doing the police now. We've had that in the past in this country, and it didn't always turn out well. Is there like we can just go back to the Pinkertons, for example. Right. Um, And I know in San Francisco, I think they still had it on the books that you could have private police forces that you could um, subscribe to and help. Mm -hmm right you know, yeah yeah you're correct about that. that was in the 80s i think it was still going mm-hmm. on there it was actually a movie about it mm-hmm. um so how do how do we deal with the problems that are going to be introduced with having a private police force because it, it's not like it's going to be a uh utopian panacea when sure this happens right
4: right right no and that's a, a very good point and i think uh chris touched on that briefly too and it was in my head I, a thousand other things i kind of got sidetracked there but i think it's important to yeah make there's a distinction here when we talk about um decentralized security and protection services right so to me in my journey as an anarchist it's always been important to have the blueprints of what a free society would look like how is that going to function uh, what are the ins and outs so two distinctions right What does it look like in a free society? And I think largely about almost everything I've talked about, it's towards that future of what it would look like when people finally understand that authority is just a concept. Acclaimed authority is just a concept. It doesn't actually exist. So I think once we get to that point, we could actually start to make some progress as a species. But. Unfortunately, we're not there yet. So yeah, we do need to take into account what it would look like applicable to today's society. And honestly, I don't have that answer. I don't know how it would uh, integrate into today's uh, communities, today's society. But I I do believe, uh, talking with my law enforcement friend who I did an interview with a couple of weeks back, that it seems like it would be beneficial if communities at the very least had an option to consent to either opting in or out of law enforcement services, and then being able to uh, hire these third-party private entities uh, for their communities and... um, ...in that we can't decentralize even smaller groups. Uh, Let's say you, you have your neighborhood or your HOA, or whatever, and you guys all come to a certain de- agreement about these types of things. To me, that's not a perfect system, of course, but it is a step in the right direction. And again, consent makes a world of difference when it comes to allocating our our tax dollars. So,
2: Yeah, Brian writes, take a close look at South Africa and who can afford private security and who can't. And I think that's an important point when it comes to the the idea that we, you know, I'm okay with the idea of a town choosing to centralize monopoly for services for all, um, because of the ability to care for the poor. I mean, if you're just going full private security and you've got to hire your own security, and that's like you know, you can kind of do that for trash pickup, right? But it, it, security and being able to call nine one one, I just don't know that people will ever accept that as a as a solution. Um, but I think you've touched on an important point in that unless you start making moves in that direction, you don't have the innovation. We don't have innovation and we don't have movement and we don't have ideas and we don't have creative thought towards this because we're stuck in a mindset of this is what we have always done and this is what we will always do. And the thing about the human species is that it is incredibly innovative and it is always finding new solutions to make things better. And that growth is set back by this monopolization on force um all right jason bassler please shameless self-promotion time tell us where we can see some of these interviews and follow you and and you know how can people follow your work and get engaged with it
4: yeah so thanks again for the opportunity to be on with you guys Um, so you can follow me on twitter jason bassler one i'm also on minds me we float and telegram Uh, The Free Thought Project and Police the Police are literally on every social media platform you could think of. I believe we post on 15 different social media platforms on a daily basis. Uh, If you go to thefreethoughtproject.com, you could sign up for our newsletter. You could check out our podcast from there. We're also on Apple Podcasts um, and Spotify, Podbean. Um, A lot of great interviews with uh, former police officers, current police officers, and a whole array of different guests. Uh, There's also an opportunity on our Free Thought Project website to either donate or subscribe. Uh, We need all the help we can get. As Chris touched on earlier in the show, uh, in late 2018, we lost 6 million fans uh, due to Facebook and Twitter removing our pages and accounts on the same day. So it's been quite a uh, rebuilding process. Uh, They've taken us down several times since then. uh, We're not going to stop but we need all the help we can get
2: red bastards
4: i swear to god these mother
2: uh, you know it's it's uh, people kind of didn't believe it uh when i posted something yesterday here i'll show it to you um, that oh you know we we've we are libertarians has been um taken down off of facebook our facebook group has been deleted our page of 100,000 people is lucky to get 250 to 500 impressions a post uh, you know, you, you can't, our, our Instagram is no longer showing up in feeds that stopped last year. You have to type my full name exactly to get me in Twitter. You know, we're th- totally throttled on YouTube and Twitter. I mean, it's just, I wonder Jason, if there's like a, a group, a third party, I will not be surprised if we find a third party is feeding our per our names to all of these people going. Just search we're Libertarian, search free thought, anything attached to Jason Bassler or Chris Spangle, like can, because we like I tried to start, start a Twitter for a history of modern politics. It's the most benign thing. I'm gonna post links to the podcast for a history podcast that is not edgy. Sorry, this is spam. You're clearly a bot. We can't have you on this platform. There's no recourse. I can't. So okay, all right, but it's because it's attached to my name. I think so. I don't know. It sucks. Uh, you know, but this is the kind of news that they want you to have. I am an extremist and you are an extremist with these horrible ideas and we're fake news. But this is the Facebook suggested news from Us Weekly. Kim Kardashian breaks silence on what led to Kanye split. That's the official news that they'd like you to read. So make sure you go to freethoughtproject.com and while you're at it, wearelibertarians.com and support all, all of our shows. So... Uh, very good. Jason, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you guys for having me on. Appreciate it. And we will be back here in just a moment. We're going to talk about Dr. Fauci. Uh, I'm going to let Ryan talk and just piss all of you off. All right. Stay tuned. <laughs> Welcome back to the Chris Spangle Show. My name is Chris Spangle. joined here by Harry Price, Reinhold, and the host of Gingerarchy, Trisha Stewart Mann. Please go check out. Uh, if you were to say, like, what, other than the ones I've been on, but if you were to say, like, all right, go listen to this one episode right now, what would you say your favorite one in your feed is, Trisha?
3: Well, uh, it's always generally um, the one that's on the, my the forefront of my thought, which is actually the last episode I did um with mike meharry partially because it it interests me so much but he he really gave the scope of faith and and anarchy and libertarianism and we kind of like used that to look through the lens of our lives and it was just really interesting he had some philosophy in there real practical use fun he's a funny guy um so that was my one of my most uh enjoyable shows i've done in a while but i might say that after the next one
2: (laughs) (laughs) any do you want to give us a hint who's next
3: um, I'm having uh, one of my favorite modern day libertarians on Spike Cohen. Um, we'll be doing a show on Monday, so hopefully we'll get that up Monday night.
2: Very good, very good. Uh, and uh, please go listen to all of the shows on the We Are Libertarians network. It is uh, there's 13 different shows. So you can find them all just by searching "We Are Libertarians" in your podcast app. Subscribe to them all. We've got you know Brian teaching people the basics, talking to a lot of interesting people. I've, I've I'm just not doing interviews anymore because every time I interview somebody, Brian's like, "Oh yeah, I've got that. I'm, I'm talking to them next week. Their show airs now." I'm like, "All right." Uh, and uh, then we got like all kinds of weird shit with Rimzo. Like Rimzo's Trisha, you love Rimzo's show. You talk about yeah. all the time about how great it is. Off the run, it's, uh, on it's the funny. run,
3: funny. Like it's 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 entertaining. There's a lot of entertainment there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, give give a recommendation of a good on the run episode with Rimzo Martinez that you just really were like. Everybody should hear this.
3: Oh, the one with Trisha Stewart Mann.
2: <laughs> 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 All right. So let's get to let's get to it. Um I retired from the pandemic like in November, January. Like I just I had that luxury. Um and I feel like Anthony Fauci for both sides has become an avatar. Uh there the, the, the i don't know what a lot of people are going to do when the pandi- when everybody's ready to move on from the pandemic and some of these people have based their personalities on it i mean you you made the comment on my stuff reinhold that people didn't talk about the 1918 flu on purpose
6: right i mean it was so what happened after the 1918 flu it was such a horrible situation and uh A lot of stuff happened in there. And then you find out that, you know, for years and years, there's no discussion about it. There's no talk about it. There's one book written about it. Um, I think the grapes of wrath, I think it was what it was. And it was like they were just trying to push it out of the, the social conscious mind. And I think that we're seeing that happen. We're going to see that happen here is that people are it was it was such a traumatic time for a lot of different reasons that people just don't want to talk about it or think about it anymore. They want to get back to their lives. So you're not, you can't do that if you just keep talking about it all the time. It's like, you know, I mean, it's kind of similar to what happened in nine 11 after a certain point in time, people just don't want to talk about it anymore.
2: But I will, I will anymore. say that the, a lot of libertarians are exactly right. And Trisha, in that this was one of the greatest invasions of Liberty into our daily lives you personally suffered a lot through it, you know, people like Hody and, and many other people on our team, you know, had, had a lot of hardships in, in employment at and work, and it was a disaster. I mean, it was, it was legit, the lockdowns, okay, we've always made this distinction, right, like, there's people's behavior due to a pandemic, and that is one thing, and then there is government action, and that's a different. Thing. And I, I got into an argument with one of my Instagram followers who was saying that that's an unprincipled stance because those people are just giving in to public pressure and the media and public pressure are, are uh, just as bad as government action and we need to fight it and you're not a libertarian if you if – you, uh, Wear a mask, or if you are like take science seriously, or whatever. And I go, do you understand government like libertarianism at all? Like government lockdowns are the problem. Jeff Bennett in in Fresno, California, having his business completely shut down, is the problem. Over inflating our currency is the problem. Like there's a million reasons to to screech through this pand- pandemic, Trisha, about legitimate government overreach, but that does not include every part of the pandemic, you know, and I think Dr. Fauci has kind of become that symbol for libertarians and on the other side, Oh, he's the sexiest man alive for the people magazine and everything he says is legitimate. And it's like, I think a lot of us are just kind of in the middle going, all right, I'm just ready to move on because you people are all fucking nuts.
3: <laughs> you know, I, I agree so much. I feel like nobody, there was a while, especially right in the middle of it, right after summer when the numbers started spiking in the fall, no one was rational or sane. You you had to right. be really at the far end of either spectrum, and I part of it is due, like you said, I was over. You know, I finished the pandemic earlier. Whatever your phrasing was, was I retired. Funny. Yeah, um, depending on where you lived in the country or what you did for a living, it, you you couldn't possibly have walked away from it because of the government there. So everybody, you know, some people's experience, they may have been an IT person that was able to work from home or already did and lived in a state where there wasn't as many mandates or anything like that. They didn't see a big difference. If you were in the service industry, um, you know, you saw the difference. I mean, your money went down, even when you went back to work, the way that things operated. Um, If you were a musician that plays live music, you had been devastated over the last year. I know quite a few people that it just literally tore their feet out from under them. people that had to spend into their retirement. I mean, just really bad. Um, So it depends on where you were, but again, and what you do necessarily that it's the pandemic was fake or, or coronavirus doesn't exist. It's why did we rely on the government to fix it? Yeah. I
2: mean, early on and, for all you bitches out there, I have <laughs> saved every single one of my statuses. I have a PDF. I'm so ready for you uh, because, because I took this the seriously. I mean, and I've said this recently because we talked a lot about the pandemic over the last month or two mm-hmm. and uh, kind of looking backwards as we will in this segment. Um, I, I just wanted to keep an open mind. And, you know, every, you, we should have evaluated this every two weeks. What's changed? What's changed? What's changed? And the thing with Fauci is that he sort of did that. And that is a huge problem if you're trying to be a messenger, right? Like the first problem is that we relied on government to save us and to protect our money and to keep us afloat and blah, blah, blah. And there are a lot of businesses that legi- legitimately were saved by PPP. Um, but we're seeing, as we outlined in last week, that the cost for that, right? Uh, there's a cost to all this stuff. Um And anytime you have central planners, this is the greatest example of failed central planning in my lifetime. You start with the CDC and the FDA and the Trump administration completely blowing testing. And once that happened, there was no lockdown or let them all run wild that was ever going to really change the outcome, in my opinion. I think once you blew testing and you didn't have that up and running and, you know, by the time I got it in April, a, a, a test cost $900 at the time. So I'm going to the store and then I start to feel weird and like if I'd had available testing like they had in Germany or they had in South Korea, I could have, I could have used that information to curtail my behavior. But if you don't have that information, then you can't do anything. You're just going to do what you do. Uh, unless you have severe symptoms or symptoms at all, right? So that was the biggest failure um, because that's what led to almost 600,000 people in America dying, um, in my opinion, unnecessarily because of the nature of the CDC. You know, then Trump initiating the lockdowns, which put Republican governors even on the side of lockdowns because what you have to understand, and we made this point at the time, is that government is a lagging indicator. The NCAA... The NBA, they shut down two weeks before govern, governors and Trump even get involved. So people were already curtailing their behavior to, for right action to protect each other with the, the theory of let's, let's hunker down for a, a couple weeks, two weeks, three weeks, get us through the, the initial surge to not overwhelm the hospitals and then reevaluate. But then you start hearing, we're going to be locked down for like five years. And then you see, you know, the the lockdown protests not bring out anything. Then you see the uh, George Floyd protests. And like the official retirement for me was when epidemiologists were saying that it was okay to go to George Floyd protests. Okay, well, then this is not the 1918 flu. And uh, my personal calculus can be different because I'm just going to choose what's best for me. Like... Once the government got involved in the shutdowns two weeks after the NBA and NCAA, resentment spiked. Then this became a culture war issue. And this was Trump's second biggest mistake is actively nurturing that for his own reelection efforts and turning the pandemic into a culture war, which turns Fauci into either the devil or an angel instead of just a fallible human being who is going to be wrong, who is going to make bad mistakes and the reality is, Fauci is a bureaucrat. Fauci has no real power other than he can give his opinion to people, and then it's the legislators and the executive branch that then can take action. We should be furious at our local legislators, our federal legislators, our president, our governors, for the action that they took, right? But Fauci is a singular individual, and I think it just makes it easier to like focus on that. And a lot of that is nurtured by the anti-vax crowd and and some of that stuff. And, and some of those long running threads that have been nurtured by on the right. Um, and, and on the left too, like just the complete acceptance of whatever the man says, the complete acceptance, you know, I, I watched, um, I think I may have mentioned this on the show, but I'm watching, uh, face the nation i think it was two or three weeks ago with the cdc director and the cdc director is basically making the point like we made this decision based on the science never articulates what the science is right like just it's the science so you need to trust it which was stupid Mm -hmm. um because i'm a free-thinking individual that would like to actually know what the science is um but she's basically talking to martha raddatz saying you know we're now at a point where everybody can get the vaccine. It's the greatest way to protect yourself from the virus. The mask is not a good way to protect yourself from the virus. And so if a person doesn't want to get the vaccine, then what's the point of wearing the mask? Because the mask was to protect other people who are vaccinated now. And so what do we need to do this for? You know, and the the thing about the, the masks, like I didn't put one on till August and, I never bought into it because I, I was listening to Tony Fauci early on, when Tony Fauci was saying things like the following. Here, hold on, just a second. Just sharing the screen taking forever. A lot of
0: confusion among people and misinformation surrounding face masks. Can you? This is this discuss? is uh,
2: in the March. Masks are- This is in March, by the way. Uh, so this is in March of. Important. Uh, I can give you the date. It's on 60 Minutes, March 8th,
0: 2020. For someone who's infected to prevent them from infecting someone else. Now, when you see people and look at the films in China and South Korea, whatever, everybody's wearing a mask. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You're sure of it? Because people are listening really closely to this. uh, Right now, people should not be walking. There's no reason to be walking around with a mask. When you're in the middle of an outbreak, wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better, and it might even block a a droplet, but it's not providing the perfect protection that people think that it is. And often there are unintended consequences. People keep fiddling with the mask and they keep touching their face. And can you get some schmutz sort of Uh, staying uh, inside uh, there? Of course, of course. But when you think masks, you should think of healthcare providers needing them, and people who are ill, the people who when you look at the films of foreign countries and you see 85 percent of the people wearing masks, that's fine. That's fine. I'm not against it. If you want to do it, that's fine. But it can lead to a shortage. It, of Exactly. Masks, that's the point. It see. could lead to a shortage of masks for the people who really need it.
2: OK, so that is Anthony Fauci in March 8th of 2020. And that was the conventional wisdom that he set until the summertime when everybody went into holy shit panic mode we need to just throw everything at the wall and try it and governors again being the lagging indicator um you know we we in indianapolis fly in one hundred and ten thousand people to the ncaa we have a spike in cases of maybe less than 100 uh two people died one of them arrived with it though uh you know we just had the indy 500 here with 200,000 people in an outdoor venue, the largest gathering of human beings uh, since the pandemic began. We're, we're seeing a slight uptick in cases. We're seeing um, from 200 cases a day to 400 cases a day. And the calculus, I think, for everybody who is not vested in trying to prove themselves right from what they said a year ago is, what do I need to know to protect me and my family? right that's been our standard here the whole time what do i need to know just tell me the truth and i will make a decision that's best for me now i went to florida twice in the past year because i, I after i was immune reinhold because i had it so i had antibodies i got my natural vaccination i wasn't caring for elderly family but in december i didn't go anywhere for 3 straight weeks before i saw my family at christmas time because my family was very worried about the the vaccine and and or about the pandemic and all that right so it's just being flexible-minded um now Fauci Fauci's mask flip-flop from what we just played to we need to wear a mask to possibly double masking pissed me off last year right so when it comes out that like the big leaks in this email FOIA request to get all of Fauci's emails is, is his flip-flop on masks, which he said on TV, like I just showed you, uh, and then in getting some weird email about the origins of this stuff. The lab leak theory is a legitimate failure of the mainstream media. They never took it seriously. Anybody with a brain thought that that was a possibility and never ruled that out. Um, except, oh, So going back to the Raditz point, I, I'm ADD all over the place here so the cdc director's on the news with martha raddatz on cbs and uh is grilling her or no it's abc i'm i'm my apologies martha raddatz is abc and the cdc director is basically laying out this very like common sense point that what do you need a vaccine for or what do you need a mask for if you you're either protecting yourself or you're not so what's the point martha raddatz goes at her like four or five times like but isn't desantis in florida going to kill people and aren't the people in texas a bunch of neanderthals And like really pushing the point and that's been the thing with fauci the whole time i've said it the whole time it's it, it's they t- he meanders and supposes and i literally watched the double masking thing happen in real time pete Buttigieg judge shows up to the inauguration with two masks so fauci is asked in a press conference is double masking a better idea and he's like Sure. Then you get double the protection, but blah, blah, blah. Anthony Fauci says you must double mask, and anyone that isn't double masking is killing their grandmother. Right? Like, <laughs> so, the press has has really driven the fear to the point that there are people, like we talked about last week, that are not going to have sex without a mask on. Right? Like, there is there's just uh, this is, this is a lot of the problem with governing a country through public opinion it's it's very hard to pick out what is true anymore and and the problem ultimately isn't that there are a bunch of different opinions it's that there is government force and so i don't really give a flying crap about anthony fauci or what he says i care what a politician thinks he said because that monopolization of violence that we've talked about today is what really matters Um, Now, this comes from a great article. Uh, John Miltmore over at Fee has been really good on the lockdowns and mostly okay on the pandemic. Uh, As we say, we always separate the two, but he's he's written like a good primer on this, and I want to give him credit, and I'll put it in the show notes, but he linked a video about public choice theory, and I think it would be helpful to play a little bit of this video on what public choice theory is and then we will go to the gang and uh, kind of break this down and and talk about it now this is what is public choice theory Um, from the institute for humane studies with professor jeffrey brennan of the australian national university what is public choice theory the standard definition is, is
7: the application of economic methods to the study of political processes But that's not very informative unless you know what economic methods involve. So let me say a little about that matter first. Economists are interested in human action, and they believe that action involves choice. When you make a choice, there's always something you could have done instead. Choice involves comparing alternatives. That's true when you're deciding whether to spend your money on beer or pizza. It's no less true when the issues are big ones, like whether the US should withdraw its military presence from Afghanistan, or whether America should have policies to reduce carbon emissions. It may not be obvious what the alternatives are in such cases. Finding out might require a bit of imagination and thought. But economists believe that such imagination and thought are necessary for proper decision-making. They think you should always ask, compared to what? Public choice economists specifically ask that question in relation to alternative ways of organising collective decision-making. And in particular, when they ask, compared to what, they want to compare the outcomes of market decisions to the outcomes of political decisions. Why do they think that's important? Well, many people, when they see something wrong in the world, have a kind of automatic response. They say, government ought to do something about that, And when they think about what it is that government ought to do, they think in terms of the best policy that could be applied. Now, asking what would be the best policy, say to tackle inflation, or deal with the Chinese presence in the South China Seas, or manage the threat of climate change, is not in itself a bad question, but public choice theorists insist that this question isn't the right question. They think that asking this question makes certain assumptions about what kind of actor government is and what motivates it in its decisions. They think that this way of thinking about policy issues implies a benevolent despot conception of government, and they think that that benevolent despot conception is dangerously misconceived. Consider the despot part first. When you ask what should government do, It seems to imply that government's just like an individual agent with the power to make decisions over policy options according to whatever he or she thinks is best, without constraint. But an individual with that kind of power would be a despot. Instead, in democratic systems, government is subject to elections. Governments, therefore, have to implement policies that appeal to the electorate. Indeed, that maximise the chance that they'll win the next election. To ignore those electoral factors is to ignore an absolutely key piece of the democratic system, which means that to analyse what the best policy option would be without considering whether such a policy could appeal to voters or survive the real-world legislative process is a case of Hamlet without the prince. Public choice theorists want to put the democratic electoral process centre stage in any analysis of policy. They want to ask not... What policy would be best, but rather what policy is likely to emerge from real-world democratic politics? And how does that compare to market alternatives? And then there's the benevolent part of the benevolent despot. When you ask, what should government do, you also imply that those in government are motivated to try to choose the very best policies for the public good. But when it comes to political agents, it's surely a mistake simply to assume that what motivates such persons exclusively is their desire to do good. After all, the working assumption in economics is that ordinary folk operating in markets are motivated predominantly by self-interest. Why should we assume that politicians and bureaucrats are motivated any differently than anyone else? To be sure, any serious candidate for political office, from President down, makes out that he or she is basically a good person, someone who really cares about the people. But there's always more to it than that. Candidates want to be elected. They want the political power and the public attention that goes with office. They often rather like free holidays and lavish gifts, which is why in most democracies there are laws that aim to stop politicians from accepting these things. The logic of public choice theory is that we need to take seriously the fact that government is a complex social machine inhabited by people who are more or less the same as everyone else, and in which periodic elections play a central role. The critical question for assessing policy is not what policy is the best we can imagine, but rather what, from what we know of real world politics, is the policy that's most likely to emerge from the policy determination process.
2: Okay, so this this entire thought and this assessment from a libertarian think tank is an important distinction. We often get messages from the libertarian sphere that there is a leftist Borg that is trying to assimilate all of society and they will become the ruling faction. And there is some truth to the fact that the... Um, uh ron brownstein who's a writer for the atlantic has a new book out talking about the 60s revolution and the parties and the the culture and 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 basically how like things that were not mainstream were radical like questioning authority questioning police have become accepted standard notions when they were radical in 1969 we just did a show on it right um and so A lot of the values of the left have been adopted, but a lot of that is because some of those liberal policies give individuals greater liberal freedom, right? Like gay rights, for instance. Um, But that has also led to the notion that the government is good and the markets are bad, that there is this notion that the... The Ayn Rand reading businessman is just purely motivated out of self interest and is purely motivated out of trying to enrich themselves and doesn't have any concern for the for the common good, for the public good. And that's where you need people to come in, like the like politicians, like Anthony Fauci, to protect us because they are only concerned with the common good. And again, there is some truth to the fact that somebody, not Anthony Fauci, who's the highest paid federal employee, um, he he probably, instead of making $4 million a year, could make $50 million a year in the private sector. Uh, but that's still a lot of money, right? Like, But a lot of people who are police officers who make $60,000 a year, or teachers, or people who are bureaucrats, they don't tend to do it for the money. And if, you know, I worked in politics 10 years before I started this show. This show's 10 years old. So I've been in the political sphere in this town for 20 years, and I can tell you that politicians, bureaucrats, and people that take a government paycheck do not view themselves as malevolent. They view themselves as sacrificing their income to work for the common good, but they rarely step back and see that they are harming the common good with their outcomes. And so we often have to think about those motivations and question why does Anthony Fauci think he's doing good? Why does a, a principal, a school principal think he's doing good? It may be coming from legitimately good places, but they're usually not liking criticism. They're not self-reflecting. They're not taking in their own biases because they've been washed in the propaganda of, I am working for the common good. And so the, the Fauci debate is probably the greatest example of all of this in my life. Like, he genuinely believes what he's saying. Uh, I don't believe the notions that he, you know, some of the, the from the uh, fever swamps and all the stuff about Anthony Fauci and he's, you know, on the plane with Bill Gates to Epstein Island and all that stuff, right? I think he's just profoundly wrong in how he applies his viewpoint. Uh, and this has been a great example of it. So when, Reinhold, I read these emails, I go, this person is wrongheaded, headed. And it, it, like, I don't think there's any way that you can look at it because you, you're you probably going to argue with me on some of this stuff. Uh, Trisha and I are one team and you're on another. There's no doubt he lied to us about masks. That was self-evident last year. That's why it was so galling that then he and public health officials started pushing masks because it never was going to protect you. It was never going to keep you safe. It was about the minimal chance that you're, keeping droplets from projecting onto other people. And it started way late into the pandemic. So I I look at it and I go, there's no way that wasn't a lie. That what he was saying on 60 Minutes and what he was saying in these emails, he lied to the public about masks and should be held accountable for that. But he also doesn't have the power to implement mask mandates. That's your local town, your city, your state, your federal government that, that can do some of those things. Um, so... When I read the Fauci emails, I just kind of see a big nothing burger because it just validates the problems that I've had with him from the beginning.
6: I think a lot of this stems from a huge misunderstanding of what masks were made to do and intended to do in this whole pandemic situation. So remember, when he says that he believes that it helped in that initial interview in March. He believed that if if you have it and you have a mask on, you're going to help protect other people from getting it. And that's always been the message, that masks are there to help protect you from spreading it to other people. It was never meant to completely make you 100% safe from getting it. It does provide some protection, but how much is very minimal. And he made the calculation, I believe, in March, that how much that minimal protection was wasn't worth putting the country out of stock so that those masks weren't be able to be used by people who were frontline and, and dealing with the virus day, on a daily basis. And and that's the other question. He didn't believe that the masks had, had zero eff- effect at all and were completely uh, useless. Why would he protect the stock for the people who were uh, out there on the front lines fighting the virus? It was there because it does provide some, right? So it, we get into this whole argument about, you know, the extremes on either side, well, it's completely needed because it's going to protect your life or it's useless and you should get rid of it. And it's not. It's somewhere in the middle on on that spectrum of whether or not masks can do any good or not. Now, if you had N95 masks, you might be able to protect yourself a lot better. But there was also a lot of misunderstanding about the virus at the time in, in March. We didn't know if it was an aerosol type of virus or if it was a virus that's passed by water droplets. Come to find out, it's not, Highly aerosol capable. It's not going to fly through the air and infect people because it doesn't last that long in the air. It'll it'll not uh, pass that way. It's usually from the droplets. When we find out that the droplets are now the main spread, the masks become more of a a potential way to protect from that. Not a hundred percent. No one's ever said that the masks were a hundred percent going to protect you from from the virus. So. What I see is someone who has uh, trying to give their best recommendation, has the information that they have at the time. They make that recommendation. As things are learned and situations change, they change their recommendation. But the, the thing about Fauci is that he never dictated any of that. That was all government that dictated it, right? Not, uh, you know, he wasn't out there making the mandates. He wasn't out there telling the, uh, the politicians what to do. And the politicians were looking for their own protection and, and doing their own decisions based off of what other people were saying.
3: But to that point, Dennis, um, cause I do, in, in some ways I, I agree with you. It's, it's, you know, you're not going to look to some guy that's a doctor and say, he's, you know, infallible and he ran around and, you know, made every governor do everything. But you say he was a guy trying to do his best and make recommendations. And, he's also influenced by the government. So would he have he done that if he was in private practice and talking to a private citizen or maybe a head of a hospital group or anything like that? Uh, there has 30%. to be something to be said about he comes out and says the masks. Well, you know what? Let's go ahead and do it. I don't think he just woke up one day and said, you know what? Maybe that small percentage is a good thing. I'm pretty sure he had a lot of other influence to come out and say what he did. It,
2: it's a lot of like oh. the tide. The tide pushes these people towards a position. the The, the public sector did not have the... Um, the mindset or the ability to imagine shutting down the NBA, the NBA had to do with themselves. And and it was a great example that we were going to protect ourselves through private means from the pandemic and do what was, co- what was responsible for everyone. You know, the, it never had anything to do with uh, the government shutting down the NBA and the NCAA tournament, you know, and, and then this year when the risks have been reassessed and everyone is, um, getting vaccinated and has the ability for both the NCAA tournament and the Indianapolis motor speedway, the government hampered their ability to, to do things. I will tell you when I walked out to my seats at the Indianapolis 500 surrounded by a sea of people, less than 1% was wearing a mask that day. And if you need a, and, unless you think this is just, Oh, this is a red state. I talked to people from Wisconsin, from Minnesota, Illinois, from blue states who did not have masks on. It is a great sample size to show that the person who is screaming that once we put these masks on, they're never going to let us take them off. That was never the case because 100,000 people just said, I've assessed my risks. I don't think the mask really works. I have the vaccine. I'm here. There's no outside transmission on a windy, sunny day. I don't need to wear this BS, but the mask ambassadors walking around and forcing people. One, one mask ambassador got fired because he wasn't wearing his mask, and uh, I would uh, uh, Jeremiah's uh, RV mate, basically, and he, I was so jealous he got the uh, mask ambassador sign. But the reality is that crowd of 200,000 people last Sunday decided the pandemic was over, and they're going back to regular life. And the lagging indicator is best exemplified by the blue states. They're not looking at Indiana and Florida and some of these other red states and going, 50% of the countries got the same numbers that we do. But those politicians in the blue states need to, to justify their phony baloney jobs by perpetuating just bad science at this point. But that's going to have a cost. Because those 200,000 people at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway where less than 1% of people were wearing a mask are going to have their ass handed to it. Like, they're going to let those politicians have it because I can't run my business. I can't make money as a server. I can't, I'm tired of wearing a mask. I don't need, to, like, every single one of those race car drivers that we talked to on media day were pissed off they still had to wear the mask. Like, these are not, like, politically motivated people. Like, And so... Politicians are a lagging indicator, and Tricia, you're exactly right in that the public determines what's going to happen ultimately, and politicians take too long to, to fix it, to move with where the people are at. And that's why markets respond so much better than politicians, because we would have been out of the pandemic and back to regular life far faster had it not been for politicians and lockdowns. And the evidence is clear between the 50-state experiment that our founders gave to us. Harry, you look like you have something to say. Correct, yeah. It it was um,
5: because being the only scientist here on the show. um,
2: Look at this white lab coat that Harry has on. Uh, Clearly, an intelligent scientist has joined the program. Please, Dr. Price. Yeah, (laughs) I think... They, they did, uh, Fauci and
5: most of the government did a very disservice not talking about the science in terms sort of just saying, well, it's the science and the science is settled. In all reality, when they were trying to say, it, it was like, well, all science really is, is just a study of things and trying to prove different things, which was ridiculous. To say. Well, the science is settled. Sci- science is never settled. They never settle on anything. It's complete disservice. Um, but. It was the the mass thing was because you could saw the tide was being torn because it was it was moving because people wanted to get back to back to normal and open things back up and they also saw the panic the government was causing by locking things down. That's why you never really saw a grocery store get shut down and call it a super spreader event because honestly if it could be spread by people being that close together and cause a actual super spreader event it would have been the protest can you imagine and and this
2: happened in a couple places can you imagine if they had shut down grocery stores and not allowed you to buy food like china can you Mm -hmm. imagine the like and that's why the uh, the american approach never really like worked uh Mm -hmm. in terms of like in italy spain you didn't leave your house because there were people with guns outside the other side of the door in america it was like honor system right Mm -hmm. and i promise i promise to behave uh and so you just had pervasive cases because the government ultimately as much as libertarians love to screech about how unfree we are there there are some aspects to the greatest invasion of liberty in our time that also kind of show how powerless they are. I mean, it, go it, ahead, Dr. Price. Keep, let let, let not Dr. Price. Okay. No, 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 hold on. Let's let's Ryan, Let Reinhold and I argue. Go ahead. Why are you wrong?
6: You, you keep saying the greatest invasion of civil rights. And I just it's I'm not it saying me the civil. Wrong way no,
2: I, I never said civil rights. I didn't say oh, invasion of liberty in said, our lifetime. Liberty, okay. Our lifetime right. is
6: the key word there for for people. Who are normally not as affected by a government as we are, right? I mean, there's there's a majority of people on the, on the in, grand in this world scale in terms not as- of
2: just raw numbers, not population percentages. In terms of raw numbers, when you have entire states like California where you're not able to get a haircut still, or you can't go to the gym in Philadelphia because the government says so, that's a pretty damn big invasion of liberty.
6: It is, but it's also the types of invasions of liberties that disparate groups of people in this country have been dealing with on a much harsher level for decades.
2: And decades. Uh, I would say and, that the first I, half of this program this, shows that I see that as a concern as well, it, and that it's. It, I, oh, I white, know that white, I'm just saying people, when you, when you say it that way, should,
6: it just kind of it just kind of rubs me wrong because it's almost like we're we're only focusing on the things that affect us or per- affect the majority of people, and and it. I'm not saying you're doing that. I'm just saying that's how it, it rubs me. And what really hurt, really bothers me is that we're not getting, a lot of people aren't getting the lesson they need to be learning from this, is that the type of uh, liberty violation that we did encounter with the lockdowns and, and all that stuff are things that people are going through all the time. And, and and because it doesn't affect us, a lot of people have it out of their mind or it's something else that's going on or it's it's not as important to them. We made but that. When it we made them. Th- it becomes important,
2: right? We made this exact point last year on the show. Like, hey, how yeah. does it? How does it feel? I, I mean, I remember doing the episode during the George Floyd stuff, saying, "Hey, if you went to a lockdown protest, you understand what it feels like to be at the Floyd protest, right, Trisha?" Like, mm-hmm. it, I I think that the 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 left leaning libertarians have made a huge mistake. I, I don't think you're wrong, but I also think like leading some of those more right leaning libertarians to the water and saying like Think about your position and where you're at and understand that mentality as opposed to saying like, get the 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 inference, not exactly what you're doing, but I've seen it online is you need to get over it because minority groups in this country have it harder. And it's a fair criticism because the right-leaning libertarians have not done a great job. Uh, they've been juxtaposing with completely making up reasons why we shouldn't care about black people and critical race theory and like like, you know, both sides are kind of not seeing the overlap, Tricia, that they have. And I think we can take a lot away from from the last year in both of these two issues and seeing, hey, I didn't like when this happened to me. So we need to find any law that treats other minority groups and, and erase those laws like occupation laws are are on the ropes because of it.
3: No, I agree. And, and nobody comes to liberty because somebody compared their pain and said it was worse than others. <laughs> I do think perspective is important. Yeah. I, like what Dennis says, Dennis can look inside and say, hey, you know what? I can be really upset about this, but this is how this person feels. But that comes from internal forces. So when external forces say, well, that's worse than this, or you shouldn't compare this to this, yeah, there's a little bit of perspective to be gained there, but it's no re, there's, you're never going to get somebody to come over to Liberty by telling them that their, their pain isn't as bad as yours. So I I think saying, yeah, you know what? I get that. This is kind of how I felt in this situation or, you know, most people come to libertarianism and small government or whatever, because they experienced something themselves. So I would say that saying, look at what you experienced. This is what the government does. Hey, it happens over here too. I mean, it's a good thing. You just have to be careful how you, you know, say, well, your pain is worse. So it doesn't matter to me. That's a really bad way to start to, like start somebody down a path to Liberty.
6: No, it, it, it's, it's the less, as I said, it's the lesson I don't think is getting learned. And it's the same. I see this all the time where there should be a lesson that gets learned. You would <laughs> think that people would see it and they just completely miss it. They just run straight into the brick wall with their head and they just don't catch it. And like, we shouldn't give the president so much power because look what happened you get have of Trump get in there and then the democrats are like he shouldn't have all this power well you shouldn't have given obama all that power right or i Bush. mean they're not learning or, that lesson they're right. just saying we just need the right people in it's it's that sort of thing We're not a lot of people are not catching the point and it's frustrating to me
2: harry final thought what we'll pop them I mean, as a doctor, we need you your learned opinion on yeah. this. Well, yeah. Why don't you stand up and give us a little spin? Let's let's take a look at you. <laughs> Can't just hire a pretty face.
6: Do a little turn on the catwalk. <laughs> Sorry, if you want that, you have to
5: subscribe to that my, only, uh, my only my only <laughs> your your only Harry's my page, yeah, my only Harry's page. But no, um, yeah, it's I'm gonna circle back just like the, it, it from this last year you you really did find like the peoples who you know wanted to have rational conversations about different things especially about the pandemic i will tell you that much and coming from someone who freaked out early and uh, and then had to change because based off of the information it it's very hard to be the one that was signing the alarm and freaking out And then learning new information and coming back to it and realizing not everyone else has because of the news and because of Fauci and the way he was bringing it
2: about you said in the show in like february like we need to watch this this is a really concerning thing and i was like oh whatever we see all this all. okay pig flu i get you whatever and then then i saw osterholm i was like oh shit harry was right <laughs>
5: <laughs> yeah it's like it's like and i really thought i was gonna get bad like that like they were gonna shut down grocery stores and do everything like because i no one knew had anything um and having to go through the signs and actually read about the water the the whole thing like we were, uh, what was talking about the water drop theory and how it was passed around? Yeah, people in Korea was having these discussions on which mask type would actually stop this thing. You remember and- the,
2: the, the mask maker that put out the chart that showed that the N ninety five was the only thing that might protect you and everything else, you know, like your grandmother's mask that she made you isn't gonna do anything? Correct, yeah.
5: And then I was trying to talk to people on how to, like, make these masks. Like, like I was showing people, it's like, yeah, just get it – you buy – certain air filters have the that different filtering on it. Cut it up and you can make a good mask out of it. You know, I was – you know, I made sure I bought, I think, beforehand, I bought up, a, like, the, the full face mask, the the ma- the super mask that everyone, like, this, the, that went off the – flew off the shelves. Were, like, were you
2: paranoid or you were, were you trying to be prepared?
5: I was trying to be prepared. Like, I, I just don't like being caught – flat footed to anything like even right now i think i bought another um because of the um well the ransomware attack that just happened on the one of the large chicken producers that happened over uh, the weekend and so the chicken shortage is going to start happening and the so these ransomware attacks going to keep happening so i went out and Bought three months of food. Food is grocery. I bought three. I got three months of storable food. I went, I increased my storage for supplies now. So I'm now I'm sitting at six. I'll I had no storage. I was
2: one of. I was one of those idiots in the grocery store. Like a week before, every every other idiot was in the grocery store because I'm like, you know, I'm not prepared. If they if the government really does try an Italy or China thing where they like won't let you go to the grocery store, I'm going to be hungry, like <laughs> you know. And and so there was a period where it's like, all right, what do I need to prepare for, like because it was never about like i was never really worried about the virus but people were acting so crazy that it's like are we going to have like mass like the riots didn't come till the summer <laughs> but like what what are people going to do like it, it, you i just didn't trust the other idiots well, you will live in the pod and you eat the
5: bugs, okay? Um, but the yeah, and was and I was jokingly at that time, just trying to get people to pay attention to it, like, hey, you see what's happening? You know, I may mean? want to stock up? I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like, okay, well, if you're not going to stock up on food or water or anything like that, how about booze? Because FEMA will probably bring you food; they're not going to bring you booze, okay? Oh, I thought you said
2: so, boobs. I was like, no. no I think boobs, even during boobs, the pandemic, yeah. Trisha, you could still get those delivered. <laughs> <laughs>
5: but like the. <laughs> You could go out, like, yeah, you could go out and freaking, like, so, like, I went out and, like, I made sure I had, you know, like, three months worth of whiskey at my
2: house. But yeah, you had different. to you had to find some humility at mm-hmm. some point and recognize that new information was presented to you and you weren't wrong and you didn't need to be as concerned, and did you then go on Facebook and try to find information that originally proved you right And tell everyone how right you were, or did you just go, "Yeah, I was a little wrong, and I'm just going to move on with my life"? And uh, at least I have some extra food.
5: Yeah, I just, yeah, I just realized. Well, yeah, I just realized I was wrong, and I just moved on. You know, but I'm only wrong to the the aspect on. Well, they didn't shut the grocery stores down because it didn't spread as bad as it. they think that and or and they waited against the idea of how people would panic. Yes, it would probably we probably be done with everything if they would have did the whole like super lockdown. No one's going on the roads. Everyone's just saying, home. Oh, but most people can't sit at home for two weeks. They cannot.
2: I remember because- finding an article from a study in May or June that showed that there was no spread. We talked about it on the show. There's no spread in grocery stores. Because if you're just passing people, it's it, – the the people who get infected at grocery stores are the cashiers who stand there and take a viral load to the face mm-hmm. every single day. Mm-hmm. So And like, they were not front line to get the freaking vaccine either. Which was insane to me because those people, you know, nurses and ca- like restaurant workers mm-hmm. and grocers, like not teachers. Yeah, not teachers. Truckers should have been there. But why did why did teachers get it first? Because they're the best politically connected. And you've you've hit on it, Harry, is that the central planner who tries to determine outcomes to protect us and we need to do this or that cannot do that as efficiently or as effectively as the market can. Just people making individual choices and human action will take care of the rest.
5: Correct. Like this, like this shows you how like poorly p- planned out everything. Like, so if this virus was just slightly worse, right? And they're like, well, this is who we're going to give out. Yes, frontline workers, right? Give it to them, give it to the food production entry, the truckload, but people who keep the lifeblood that keeps everything running. Like the idea that, like, when I even said, like, sit at home for two weeks, I mean, sit at home for two weeks with your, you have no water, you can't flush the toilet, you can't turn your light on, you have no internet. That type of two week shutdown, you can't do it so those people that keep those amenities those services those luxuries that allow you to stay at your house so you can work from home those people should have got the vaccine first not not all these other people that they freaking got it you know it was was ridiculous you know like the vaccine should have been instead of wasting it and giving it to all these states and doing they should have pumped it to the the food production facilities the farmers should have got it all these things that just kept everything moving but nope No, we're going to go to do it. Lottery system, going to give
2: it to the boomers. Let's let's go. Right. Uh, Quickly, final thoughts from you, Tricia.
3: Oh, as far as um, Fauci, uh, (laughs) the Fauci emails and things like that. I just wanted to add that I think everybody thinks this is going to be some smoking gun, and I think it's tantamount to the government admitting they don't know what UFOs are.
2: (laughs) Right. It's (laughs) everybody's very amped up, and it's just like I just don't see it like if you were watching this has happened a lot from both of the extremes like if you were just watching the regular news and kind of paying close attention to what was going on last year you weren't surprised in august when somebody said something because or some rate was hitting some other like you just was all kind of there but a lot of people in april weren't taking it seriously because this is all fake and like they rightly were saying this is just going to be used as an intrusion on my liberty. So I'm not even going to participate and I'm not going to learn anything about it. I'm not going to play along and my stubbornness will just be my dissent. Okay. I get that. Um, But don't, don't pretend later that you were following the news and understand what was going on. Reinhold.
6: Oh, just, um, I I think I pretty much covered it with Fauci. I, I don't think he's, you know, Maliciously trying to do anything. I think he was, he had one belief and he changed his mind. I, I think part of the problem with him being a politician is that he, he is kind of a flip flopper on day to day based off the information he gets that day or things he hears and he reevaluates. And public doesn't like that in politicians. Right. So that's, that's going to really hurt him in the long run. But I don't think there's really anything mind-blowing or shocking in any of the emails that were released other than the fact that there were a lot of crank people that were sending him emails yeah and the other part the other part is that he's horrible about hitting reply all when he should just be hitting reply (laughs) that's the worst thing i found in those
2: emails all right and with that we are going to say goodbye thank you trisha make sure you go check out gingerarchy thank you harry thank you brian hold uh, we appreciate everybody listening to the program here. If you enjoyed it, if you learned something, please share and make sure you go check out uh, Jason's website, Free Thought Project. And we will see you again next week.